Hi, welcome to the Violent Nights podcast. My name's Nada Polian and I work at Southbank Centre. We're in the middle of one of our busy cafes, as you can hear. And I'm Alex Williams and I work at Southbank Centre too. Violent Nights is a real life space for online conversations where we bring you the best guests chatting about current topics that affect young people. So previous Violent Nights have included the phenomena of cancel culture, fake news in the age of social media and body politics. You can listen back to the best bits of cancel culture in episode one of the Violent Nights podcast. Tonight our event is called Children of the Windrush and we're going to be looking at how the so-called Windrush scandal is affecting the next generation. Nandit, for those who don't know the details, can you give us a little bit more information about what the Windrush scandal is? Well, it was a political scandal where people were wrongly detained, denied legal rights, threatened with deportation and at least eight free cases wrongly deported from the UK by the Home Office. So for tonight's event, we're going to zoom in on the children of the Windrush. We've got grime pioneer Marcy Phonics. I think I'm a man of the people, like I speak for those who don't have a voice. Artist and daughter of a Windrush victim, Michelle Romeo. In those 12 years, he couldn't go on holiday, he couldn't go to his father's funeral, couldn't do any career progression because he would have needed ID. That's how deeply wrong it was. And the chair is Galdem's Charlie Brinkhurst Kerf. And she also wrote a book called Mother Country, Real Stories of the Windrush Children. And they were like, OK, would you like to write a book on the Windrush generation? And I was like, yeah, it sounds great. Now, how long have I got? One month. And I was like, oh my God, is that even possible? So before we start, if you want to get involved in the conversation, use the hashtag Fight at Nights and at Southbank Centre on socials. In the meantime, let's go to the stage. Um, so firstly, I guess I wanted to ask you both, when did you become, or have you always been aware of the importance of the fact that you are descended from people of the Windrush generation? Yeah, I've always seen the importance of it, you know, hearing stories from my grandparents and how difficult it was for them. My um, grandmother came over as a nurse and she would openly tell me stories about um, how she was treated by patients and so forth, you know, of being of um, Caribbean descent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about you? Yeah, I mean, we always had loads of stories from when we was growing up, especially from one of my best friends. It was his gran. Mm -hmm. His gran used to always tell us stories. Um, and it was a particular story. And before all of this stuff, it used to almost be a bit like, ah, here we go again kind mm -hmm. of thing. But <laughs> now as I'm older and I'm understanding who I am, where I'm coming from, it becomes very interesting to me. So what she used to say was um, when they first came over on the Windrush, there used to be, I think it was like 20 people shared in one house and 10 people used to work in the daytime, 10 people used to work in the nighttime and they had to swap because there wasn't enough space to sleep on the floor. And anyway, someone said to her one time, um, there's some people at factory recruiting. If you go down to this place, tell them you want some work, you're good. So she went in the snow in the winter for an hour and a half from Brixton to Collier's Wood in the snow, walking, no money, mm. got to the factory and they come to the door. They see her, obviously this is a short black lady. They see her and they point to the sign and the sign says no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Mm -hmm. So we are recruiting but we're not recruiting you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she had to turn around and she had to walk back in the snow for an hour and a half. Yeah, that's actually exactly the same thing happened to someone that I interviewed for this book. He, mm -hmm. he walked all the way from Brixton to North London and wow. he turned away. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Walked all the way back. Um, there was a really good exhibition on at um, the British Library. It had um, a book in it which was like literally like a kind of like a guidebook mm -hmm. to like coming to the UK that the BBC had produced yeah. as part of the sort of recruitment which really just made it hit home to me, like, you know, how desperate they were for labour and how yeah, yeah. needed we were. Yeah. But the call wasn't necessary for, you know, the Caribbean. It was mm. for countries like Australia and so yeah. forth and places like 
possibly Canada as well at the time. I'm not quote me on that, but they were the ones that it was aimed on recruiting to come to England to help build up the country again. Mm -hmm. We, you mm. know, so again, the recruitment mm -hmm. wasn't necessary for our people, but because you know the Caribbean are so patriotic. And they were, you know, some still are. Mm. They automatically came because it was the motherland. And I mean, before the Windrush scandal happened, how would you have described your identity? Did you feel like a proud black British person or did you identify more with being like a child of Windrush? Yeah, see, I grew up in North London, like North London in Enfield, yeah. uh, Edmonton. <laughs> and, you know, I was born in the 80s. So it was very, it was a very strange time to grow up in at that time Edmonton was primarily white British mm -hmm. it wasn't many black people so we were always kind of quite close-knit as a community because we were isolated a lot of the time and faced a lot of racial tension so you were kind of proud when you were at home but you also were scared to be proud when you were out if right, that makes okay. sense yeah yeah that does make sense yeah yeah how about you you know what it's strange because I've seen both sides of the coin, meaning I do music for a living. So I've had the opportunity to travel certain places where my British passport is prominent, it's strong. And I feel like, yeah, that's nice. Like I'm British. But then there's certain other times where, boy, they make you know you're not British. Yeah. You feel me? Like there's, there's a lot of times, even like smallest things, like I could be dating or whatever and go yeah. to a restaurant and I can see there's tables, bro. Like mm. you're being sent away. You know, and British prominent restaurants, I'm not going to say names, but maybe turn up with the beautiful British girl mm. and you might get your seat. Mm -mm. So it's little things like that. And that stuff used to happen as I was getting a bit older. And then it kind of threw me a little bit and made me think, well, maybe I'm not who I think I am here, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, to move on to the Windrush scandal, I, I guess it'd be interesting to hear a bit about your experiences um, okay. with your father. Okay, so um, my father came over in 1959 on his mother's passport and he was four years old and did all his schooling in Islington and he got his own British passport in 1975 when my older brother was born and he went on holidays and in 1996 his passport was stolen and he reported it to the police and Basically, my dad's a workaholic and never really bothered to get his passport renewed. Came to about 2005 and, you know, you get away, his father was living in Antigua and my uncle, who owns property out there and so forth, said to him, come on, let's go out there. My dad had never been back. He went to Mauritius where my mum was from, went to see family in other parts of the country, but never went back to Antigua because he didn't identify with it that much because he's only known the UK. So he tried to get his passport and they said that he never had one. And he needs to go and speak to the home office. The passport office said this to him. He needs to go speak to the um, home office to see if you got the right of abode. He went to the home office. Then they started to question whether he had the right of abode. So they made my dad jump through hoops. So luckily he went to school in Islington and he was into sports and played football at Arsenal and, um, and got all these certificates. You know, he married a, a British citizen, had his marriage certificate. He owned a house, worked bank accounts, you name it, but mm -hmm. apparently he didn't have British citizenship. And this went on for about 12 years. So then last year, we got letters to go and report to Beckett, well, not we, we as a family, but my father, to go to Beckett's house to report, otherwise he'd be deported. At that time, you know, 
we used to joke and laugh about it because we thought it was ridiculous, you know, the fact that he's been here for so long and you're really going to come with that sort of nonsense, do you know what I mean? So we, that's when it really kind of was like, whoa. Mm. And I sat there and I used to work, at the time I worked at Childline, I was a counsellor and I came back off shift and I just sat there and it was like, nah. So I started Googling, I'm a frantic Googler and stuff when I've got to be my, I, I, yeah, I do all that. I think it was about two, three months later after we kind of, you know, because we went to Parliament, spoke with Diane Abbott and David Lammy at an event. We were at Stand Up For Racing. We went to all these different events to kind of get the word out because it's something you really felt passionate about because, we, you know, we thought, my dad's fortunate to have someone like me on side who's quite savvy with things mm. like that. And I'm, you know, I'm a bit ag and I, I'm like a dog with a bone. Mm. But, like, some people were frightened. They were in their houses. They were scared. Of course. And, you know... And that's how Windrush Action came about. So, you know, so we did this. And I think it was a, a couple of months later, my dad got a phone call from the home office. Hello, Mr. Romeo. We found your um, passport details. Yeah. And um, we found your boarding card when you came into Portsmouth. Wow. With your mum's name and your mum's passport. And it's like, you know. And in those 12 years, he couldn't go on holiday. He couldn't go to his father's funeral. He couldn't go to his sister-in-law's funeral, his cousin's funerals abroad. He couldn't move jobs. Luckily, he didn't work for the public sector and his employers really trusted him, but he couldn't do any career progression because he would have needed ID. Luckily, he didn't fall really ill, like um, Sylvester Thompson, who unfortunately had cancer and was told he wasn't allowed um, NHS treatment. You know, so I just wanted to kind of clarify not only is it wrong, but that's how deeply wrong it was. Hi again, hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, we'll tell you later about our upcoming free podcast making course so you could be creating one of these next month. Yeah, and backstage, our guests told us more about the Windrush scandal and their views on what might have caused it and the impact it had. Here's the chair and Gowden member, Charlie. A lot of people of Caribbean descent who came here during the Windrush government-defined period were affected by a scandal which meant they were served with deportation notices, they lost documentation that proved they were citizens of this country. And yeah, it's had a rippling after effect in terms of making, I think, the black British community feel even more unwelcome in this country than they did prior. I was first contacted about um, doing a book around the Windrush generation in May last year. There were things I wanted to disrupt, so I wanted to make sure to include like loads of women's stories because I knew that it, historically, both like in the media and beyond, we haven't been as aware as we should have been about the women's stories who came from the Caribbean to this country. And it's important because the Windrush migration was the first time women had migrated in higher numbers to men in modern history um so yeah i wanted to hit that i wanted to talk speak about lgbt narratives i wanted to look into other issues such as like colorism i wanted to look at uh, empire and colonialism and all these little hit points and so that's what i was sort of basing my interviews around so i think even calling it a windrush scandal is a little bit of a piss take because I, I just think it's like just another everyday thing when it comes to like black people in this country and that's what I feel, so I don't think anything's been better. I think sometimes they use the, which is quite clever, I think they use like the art of deflection sometimes with these scenarios. So they'll fire somebody 
or whatever, like what they did with Grenfell, they'll fire someone and that kind of means, oh, we've dealt with it now so we can move on kind of thing. Um, but they don't really ever deal with anything properly up till now. You know, one of the things that was quite uh, prominent at the time was I was asking about the numbers and stuff of the people that got deported. But up till now, we still don't know them. We still don't know the names of the people that got sent back and stuff like that. So do they deal with things? Have things got better for me? Absolutely not. I think that if this window's passed all this time and only little things have happened, like, oh, you've given this person a bit of money. Well, who have you given money to? Who? Who are these people? Bring them forward. Let me see them because I don't believe it. So I think, nah, I don't think anything's changed. I'm also a trustee at Haringey Shed, and it is something that we have discussed with members of that community as well, because it's in Haringey and it's based in Tottenham. So there's a lot of people of the Caribbean that attend there, and friends of the Caribbean as well, because obviously it's a very inclusive community. So everyone's quite aware and quite supportive. So people are interested and are talking about it. At Windrush Action, because I am the youngest member, we are trying to branch out and speak to more young people. Um, and I think it's really important that young people do understand the impact because mm. what you know really shocked me was because my father's um, citizenship was questioned my citizenship would be questioned too because you take your father's nationality so yeah it was really great to hear about the history of Windrush and the scandal and how it's affected people so what did you think I think it's just good to hear personal stories rather than like just hearing what the headlines are telling us or what the newspapers are telling us yeah, you're so right. Anyway, back to the stage where Marcy Phonics is telling us about his run-in with Conservative member of Parliament Kwasi Kwarteng on Channel 4 News, which went viral. You really, you did, you did well against, against that Tory MP and I would, like to, I would like to know what was going through your head when you were having that conversation about, about yeah. the scandal and, and why you felt the need to respond in such a strong way. Yeah, um... Let me kind of tell everyone how that happened mm -hmm. first. So Channel 4, they call my management team and they're saying, oh, you know, we've got this situation with Windrush and blah, blah, blah. We think Marcy would be great to come and speak about it. He's fresh and he's, you know, he's, he's dominant in that, in that field of truth. Mm -hmm. So can you bring him on the show? And I was in Italy at the time. I was doing some stuff out there, some music stuff. And my team is saying, come back, come back. You need to come back and do this. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure about that. I'm not really into politics and blah, blah, blah. But when they said what it was with Windrush and our people and blah, 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 I said, right, cool, I'm coming. So I've come back, we've went on there and we're speaking and I'm really trying to keep it cool. I'm trying to be PC and I'm trying to play their game. Mm -hmm. And then it just kicked in and I was like, nah, nah, bro. Like, this is wrong. This is wrong. Like, nah, I can't have this. And, and I did think the nation can hear let me tell you the truth, actually. And my passion kicked in and I just told him what I thought. And I just felt like I was being lied to. I felt like how we all feel when we're watching the news and a man just being told, go and say this. And in fact, I'll tell you what else I think as well. I think it was quite smart of them. I'm not mad at Kwasi Kwarteng anymore. He actually was just, just a pawn in that. That was a great chess move. He was just a pawn because he was a, a black man that they knew I was coming and they knew that this is a, a serious black matter. And if they was to put a white guy there, it makes it like a race debate. Mm. So I'm not mad at him for it. It was just, I just had enough that day. Mm. And I just felt like, you know, it's time that we start to stand up for ourselves mm -hmm. and speak. And that's everybody. Like, why are we so afraid of these people? Why? What, are they going to come and execute us if we say something wrong to them? What's up? 
And even like the conversation today, it's beautiful that we're here and we're speaking and there's so many different people from different backgrounds that are interested and that are learning that can go away and say to five other people, ah, oh, my opinion on this has changed a little bit. So I think it was really good. But yeah, that's that's kind of like how it all came together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after that incident, you made a song, a track, right? Yeah, I made a, I made a record called Liberties. And it was great because the response of it was brilliant. And it was basically just giving people an insight of A, who I am as an artist, but B, a little bit more of an insight about Windrush and how our people came over and what actually happened and how they were treated and how they were spat on and kicked on by Teddy Boys and stuff like that. Um, so that's what it was about. And I released that straight after and it got publicised everywhere right. and it was cool. Can you yeah, it was good. a taster? Do you know it off the top of your head? Um, I can give you a taster. Okay. Came here to help. 22 days on the Windrush. We walked into hell. Teddy Boys punched and kicked us. Uh, we came up to we came here to clean up all of their. Sh I don't want to swear, but da -da -da -da. you kind of. I think people should go on YouTube and do it because <laughs> right now I'm kind of doing the calm. Yeah, yeah. Cool, I didn't. I literally didn't. But want it's, very, it's very it's very aggressive and okay. it's and it's passionate. I'd like to hear a bit more about your artwork as well and the way way in which you've expressed what yeah. you've been going through through your art. Okay, so I've been an artist now, like a practicing artist for about twelve years. A lot of my art is about intersexual feminism and being a black woman in the UK and whatnot and social and emotional interactions. Um, so we were asked, my father and I, to go to the Houses of Parliament at an event that Diane Abbott organised to do a speech. I was really, really scared. So I wrote something. I got really good um, feedback from it. And I decided, well, this is not how I usually communicate. So I then took the words from that piece and I created a tapestry. When the scandal broke, it coincided with the anniversary of Enoch Powell's um, Rivers of Blood speech. So I did a map of London with a red river through it and the content is words from my speech across it. It's hand-stitched. But you can catch that on my Instagram at Rachel Romeo Artist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can open up to questions now, actually. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I've got a question. Um, especially in this country, we have really short attention spans mm. so Windrush was there and was prominent a year ago but now we've forgotten about it Grenfell was prominent a year ago but now we've forgotten about it mm -hmm. yet the people are still affected and people are still dying and people are still being dragged out of their homes so what do we do as a collective to make sure that it's still highlighted and that it stopped and we make a change mm. you know besides just tweeting about it what can we actively do well, um, last year, I was lucky enough to be introduced to the Advocacy Academy run by Root Education, Root Ed. And it was a bunch of 16-year-olds who organised a march in Parliament. These were 16-year-olds that were saying, you know, don't hush the wind rush and really like pushing for this. And they were diverse, very multicultural group of passionate people that want our history, British history. And I think this is what we need to do. We need to stop being quite, yeah, there is social media and stuff, but it is also about outreach. It's also about intergenerational communication. It's about really working with the community and being open and actually creating your own narratives and keeping open in discussion, I feel. And educating yourselves, you know, because it's not taught doesn't mean you can't teach yourself. Beautiful, all right, thank you so much, guys.
We hope you found this Violet Nights podcast on the Windrush scandal interesting and you feel more informed. Remember, hashtag Violet Nights or at Southbank Centre if you want to get involved in the conversation. Yeah, and if you're between 18 and 25, you can apply for a spot on our free two-day podcasting course. If you love them and want to know how to make one, on this two-day course, you'll learn how to plan, make and share your own podcasts. And you'll do this by actually working on future Violet Nights episodes with us. If that sounds cool, head to Southbank Centre's website or just search Southbank Violet Nights and we should pop up. So our next episode is on females in grime called Ladies of the Mics. We'll be hearing from women in the grime scene who are pushing the genre forward. Please subscribe and write us a review. We'd love to know what you think. This episode was produced by Phil Brown and executive produced by Crystal Genesis. I'm Nan Napoleon. And I'm Alex Williams. We'll be your hosts. Until then, bye. See ya.